the strategy. Welcome everyone to the role of technology in return of office strategies, a special meeting presented uh, by the IFMA New York chapter and the Cornet Global New York chapter. And it's very exciting um, networking opportunity with both chapters coming together on an important issue such as this, the return to the office and how technology can be used along with our own you know, corporate network to get started in opening the offices here in New York City. So I wanna to start today's meeting by introducing our panel one at a time. And I wanna remind you that our lines are open for questions. I know we have some very intelligent people present today in the audience and we'll accept your questions uh, throughout the event. So let's, let's begin now and welcome first uh, our panelist that's here today. Um, and why don't we start with uh, our first panelist, uh, which happens to be uh, Marion Carter. Marion, introduce yourself and where you're from and um, what your expertise is. Oh, there we go. I'm trying to unmute myself, sorry. Uh, I'm a, uh, Marion Carter. I'm principal uh, in the um, real estate workplace solutions practice at Accenture. Um, I have about uh, 30 years of experience um, with um, supporting and implementing um, in integrated workplace management systems, which includes all the components that would be included um, in, in workplace technologies. Well, we'll, we're looking forward to hearing uh, what you have to offer us today. Uh, next, our panelist is Jonathan Flattery. Uh, Jonathan, you've been working at Tishman Spire for a long time, but you're the head of global sustainability and building um, technology innovations. That's a mouthful. It's also a huge responsibility for the portfolio you have both for existing buildings, but the new buildings that you're opening up, uh, not just here in New York City, but around the globe. Tell us a little bit about yourself, and um, we're looking forward to hearing what you have to offer today. Good afternoon. Thanks for having me. Again, Jonathan Flaherty, uh, Director of Sustainability and Building Technologies at Tishman Spire. I've been at Tishman Spire for 14 years, um, and uh, and I apologize. We have been back in the office for the last uh, year almost. My first day back and return to work was a year ago. I happen to be on vacation, hence you're getting my uh, verdant background, but normally you would have my- Very green, dull... Jonathan. I yes, like but normally you would have my dull corporate background to show how committed we are to return to office, but you happen to got me on a week of vacation. But anyway, um, I'm very excited to be here and share uh, our thoughts on this. And thank you, Brian, for uh, organizing. Well, we know uh, Alexandra Liz is in the office here, and she happens to actually be in a Tish Inspire building there in Rock Center. But That's she's right. the uh, director of global real estate and design of workplace strategies for Lazard. Um, uh, tell us a little bit about yourself, Alexandra, and thank you so much for joining our panel today. Absolutely, thank you for inviting me, um, Alexandra Liz. As uh, Brian said, I work at Lazard, and I oversee global real estate design and workplace globally for Lazard. Basically, setting standards and helping out where I can with transaction management as well as construction. And I have roughly 17 years, I won't say the exact number, but let's just say 17 plus uh, <laughs> years of experience. That's great. Sandra uh, Yenka was with us and she's director of Pacific Program Management. Um, welcome and tell us a little bit about yourself. Thanks, Brian. Um, hi, everyone. I'm Sandra Yencho. I am uh, Director of New York and the Northeast for Pacific Program Management. Um, if you're not familiar with PPM, we're a workplace consulting, um, capital project management, and transition and relocation owners representation advisory firm. Um, I head the Northeast, um, but we work with um, a lot of technology clients. Um, so I think some of the front running and trailblazing um, activities that are going on in, in the return to office um, are sometimes led by that group. Well, that's great. Now, um, if you don't know who I am, I'm uh, Brian Schwegel. I am the head of the undergraduate division here at NYU Shack uh, Real Estate uh, Institute. And I work closely with both IFMA and Cornet, and I'm uh, very proud to be chairing this particular panel today. Um, let's start with uh, our uh, program manager, right? The, the one that's on the lines dealing with the everyday uh, questions that are coming at you 
right and left. Uh, what are your clients reaching out to you for? What are they looking uh, to do? And how prepared do you uh, feel that people are to return to the office? Well, Brian, um, thanks for letting me kick this off. You know, this week and last week um, on the Castle's um, return to work barometer, we see about in New York City specifically about a 23 to 20. 20- um, return to office occupancy. Um, And we've seen a lot of headlines about um, uh, companies and organizations deferring the return to work. But as we're going to eventually come to a place where you're in the office again, um, companies are reaching out to us about three primary topics. Um, One is return to work strategy. Um, Many organizations have had the stop and start um, in terms of what specifically um, their employees will need in terms of return to work. So I think technology has underpinned some of these discussions. Um, and I think we'll we'll get more broadly into that. The second thing is, um, you know, when we started the pandemic, everybody quickly went into survival mode in terms of their communications to employees. Over the last 18 months, we've seen um, employers look to really um, look at a future strategy for the next 12 to 18 months on how they communicate about health, safety, and wealth about building status and occupancy, about changes that would be happening in the corporate real estate world. So we we do advise people on that. And then the third thing is reporting and metrics. Um, I think we're seeing technology accelerate this. Um, If you weren't using AI-based cloud computing and and reporting for your metrics, um, you soon will be. Um, So we're seeing many clients reach out um, to understand what does their technology strategy look like um, moving forward as they start to increase, especially in technology, life science, and healthcare, increase their spending in terms of um, in hardware and software for technology? So I think you you touched upon three broad uh, strokes there that all of our listeners are interested in. Um, how do you fashion a return to work strategy? What type of technology are you advising your a company to employ along the way? And then how, how do we figure out if it's working properly? What kind of metrics are in there? What kind of um, uh, numbers and data uh, do you collect? Uh, and there are privacy issues with that as well. How does that um, kind of check with what you're looking at, Marianne, in terms of how you're in advising clients at Accenture and what Accenture is doing across the board? Well, we're, we're advising on a number of different fronts um, with our clients. Right now, we're, um, I'm currently engaged with a large global um, client and their, their corporate real estate organization. And um, we're not only looking at, you know, the, the, current, the technology to use for uh, tracking current utilization, which um, they need to put into place, um, you know, the analytics, as I mentioned, uh, which is, you know, critical to manage day to day, you know, how many people am I going to have in the office on any given day? Uh, analytics is very critical about that, but it's also um, the planning processes. You know, how do you plan right now for this new normal going into the future? So we've been spending a lot of time um, with our clients understanding the, the new criteria around planning. Um, some of the things that we're seeing um, and let's say the flexible workplace arrangements, right? Uh, it's not necessarily, as they call it, quote unquote, butts and seats, but it's how many people can I fit into this flexible work arrangement program? So the new uh, planning requirements um, evolve around um, ratios. So let's say I have you know, uh, seven seats for 10 employees, let's say. Is that gonna work uh, in my overall strategy? not only in the current environment, but in future environments. So the planning processes um, need to be strong um, for the future. You need to understand, you know, how am I going to collect that information from my multiple business units? You know, and how am I going to process that information? How am I going to come up with my occupancy scenario? And how is that going to fit into the current utilization processes going forward? So we're focusing a lot on processes. We're looking at tools across the board to see what tools are um, going to be um, a fit, you know, sufficient for their requirements going forward. And it's a challenge because a lot of the, you know, the companies right now are not, you know, that offer software tools are trying to catch up in this area. Now, Jonathan, you uh, are both a, a tenant yourself and uh, deal with uh, 
uh, tenants across the board and you're a, a landlord owner um, dealing with a portfolio of buildings and, and developer moving forward. How do you advise your um, tenants and um, are they coming to you uh, with these issues? And um, as a landlord, uh, particularly a landlord with a huge portfolio in Midtown Manhattan um, and a, a, a landlord that has um, one of the largest buildings under construction in Hudson Yards right now, wh where do you see the, the, the future of the office being um, in terms of uh, what was mentioned, the 23% return? Uh, um, are you you hearing uh, that out in the marketplace? What what are you seeing? Sure. Um, well, so you know, I won't be any surprise to hear that Tishman's Fire thinks that uh, offices are great, and um, you know, we continue to believe that they play a very large role in in uh, hopefully all of our clients' futures. I will say that we don't see people, I mean, broadly in New York and in our portfolio, we do not see people moving out. We do not see vacate. Um, we also don't see a big deals of people moving in. The market is mostly stagnant across the board as people try to calibrate their strategies. But we're not, outside of a couple announcements that you've seen in the news of late, very few companies have abandoned the office in New York City. Um, and I, we don't anticipate that being the case in the future. Um, those occupancy numbers that Sandra mentioned sound about right for New York, um, but we're in you know nine cities in the U.S., so we actually see very different numbers in different cities um, for all sorts of interesting reasons. Um, but but we're seeing you know in the mid twenties seems to be about right. I think we expect uh, it's also August, so like you know New York in August is not uh, bustling to begin with pre-COVID. So, um, you know, we'd expect a pretty low number in the third week in August anyway. Um, but in terms of when we think people are coming back, I mean, we have heard all sorts of different kinds of things. I think that the key is that even when companies say they're pushing their return to office back by whatever they might be, they're being much more flexible now. Offices are actually are open and people who want to go in are going in. And so you're seeing a lot more sort of companies letting people try out different strategies. And so we're seeing companies that were previously totally closed. Now they're open. What does that mean? It means a handful of people a day, but different people, uh, meaning it's not the same 10 people day after day after day. So I, I think broadly we see the fall as continues to be a, a you know high likelihood of most companies coming back at some level. I think what both Marion and, and Sandra talked about is what that level is, what companies feel comfortable in terms of densities is where there's lots of interesting conversations going on. We don't generally get into those conversations with our tenants. That's really up to them. But um, that's where we see the, the big discussion. Um, and, uh, and, and I think we'll, we'll continue to see very different strategies for different companies. We're seeing very... I mean, the one thing I said constant is we don't see people moving out, but outside of that, again, we see very different strategies across different companies, even within the same industries. Okay, I'm going to come back to you and the other panelists in a second, uh, but you know, our, our very special guest today, <laughs> representing, I think, a good majority of our audience and listeners here that have to shoulder this responsibility of how to craft a communication, what technology to move forward with, and how to advise um, uh, their their uh, principles of the organization of uh, what the strategy should be is Alexandra Liz. Uh, uh, you know, you're at Lazard, um, a pretty big, uh, smart organization there. Uh, how are they approaching? Inspire tenant, I might add. Yes. Yeah. How are they approaching you as um, you have to craft this message and advice to them to come back to the office? I think, I think, look, there's multiple facets to, to what we're talking about. I think first thing is from the perspective of doors opening, our doors have been open. They technically never closed. It's just volume of people coming in and out of the door. Um, I would say that each business segment is deciding what works for them. And we are being very open-minded and saying, if you've been able to work from home for that past 18 months without affecting productivity, then this works for you, continue to do so but we do hope that you come into the office at least two to three days a week. Um, as far as the workplace itself, we don't see any changes occurring anytime soon. I think that our footprint has worked for us. We were always a very traditional bank, meaning we never went to trader desk. We never you know, reduced our spaces. So as far as people being concerned of distancing, we've never really had that issue because we were so traditional already. I think that we will continue to use our footprints the way they are and versus us doing any specific changes, 
I think we would be talking to Tishman to see what they could be offering our people in terms of additional amenities that we wouldn't really put in our own spaces. Um, I think the third item here to talk about is just, you know, there's a lot of conversation about giving back space. And I think that for Lazard, A, it's really not realistic. We have a very long-term lease here at 30 Rock. We're happy with the building. We are, we are very hopeful that things will go back, right? Our goal is that everyone comes back 100%. So talking about letting space go is really not an option for us. We don't see that happening. I think the only conversation piece that changes is if we wanted additional space, maybe there's a halt on that, but we're going to continue to have the spaces we have, and it's just a matter of holding on to it and seeing how it's used. Yeah. Sandra, would you say that's uh, typical of, of the clients that you have? Kind of, let's see status quo. Mm -hmm. uh, let's see how this uh, Delta variant uh, proceeds. Um, um, let's find out what the best technology in the marketplace is before we start investing in it. What what are those some of the threads yeah. that you see? Yeah, I think um, we're certainly encountering um, conversations like, um, you know, the strategy that Liz, Liz has outlined is, you know, we're going to stay in a conservative approach. Um, we're going to stay with our, our current footprint. Um, for us, it's not about recommending what's best. It's really the business drives um, what will be um the, the future of real estate for each organization. But I do think we play a critical role in bringing to light some of the um, benchmarking and um, some of the movement. Um, for our clients specifically, uh, we do work with maybe 25% of our clients are professional services. Um, about 50% is technology firms. So we've seen rapid growth in that sector, obviously, um, especially in online retail, um, consumer uh, products, um, online platforms, AI cloud-based solutions. So those companies, um, even if they're working remote, and I think there's a fallacy that remote workers mean it doesn't have uh, office space. Um, it, it Certainly, it's even more important to have office space when you have a fully remote workplace and that it be purpose-built for the types of things that you'll be doing in the office in the future. So I think in that um, respective, even if there's a trade-off of space, um, we're not seeing a great decline or a great abandonment of real estate strategy, it's still a wait and see approach. Yeah. So I think this uh, working from home now has debunked a number of uh, fallacies. Um, uh, would you uh, would you agree with that, Marion? I mean, do you, you, you probably always advise, uh, particularly coming from the industry that you're in, Accenture, uh, that there's value in um, heads down work uh, and it all do doesn't have to be done uh, in one location, but where, where do you see the future going with regard to that? And talk a little bit about what Sandra mentioned. Um, Alexandra works in a traditional bank, but there is a difference between tech companies, uh, Google, Apple saying, uh, let's push it back even further. You don't need to come back. And uh, other companies, uh, particularly bankers, uh, JP Morgan Chase, others uh, uh, saying uh, Morgan Stanley, you need to be in the office. And if you're not in the office, uh, there's gonna be a, a you know, hell to pay. So what do you think about that, Marion? Well, with dealing with um, the, the global clients we have, I think it's um, a lot of it's region specific too. Uh, US philosophy might be different than um, you know, the philosophy in, in uh, Japan or in um, you know, other locations around the world. So I think the idea of you know, the central CRE organization, which we deal with, um, to be flexible enough to understand, number one, you know, the, the productivity of each of the regions. Um, so we advise them to, uh, you know, to establish a baseline, okay? What, you know, and I focus on technology, so <laughs> gotta excuse my uh, technology bend here, but, um, you know, establish a baseline. What is it? What are the tool sets, the basic tool sets that you need that you know of in each of the regions or each of the locations? Uh, set that as a baseline, and then add on additional tool sets as as required um, on a regional basis. So we're looking at uh, technology um, and and uh, on their philosophy from a uh, you know from a, uh, a 
a global perspective. It's not the same for every location, and you know, depending when on what's going when on you with say technology. What does that mean? Does that because technology encompasses a number of things, but particularly in this COVID environment, technology mm-hmm. is working from your phone, um, showing that your vaccination is in place, uh, having uh, a swipe card off of your phone. Uh, in the MTA, uh, you know, in the subways as much as in, in turnstile going into a building. What, what are we talking about there? Well, we're talking about, um, I think, you know, all of the above would, you know, what you're just saying is now having the ability to number one, uh, reserve a space if you need to get into an office and then add on the criteria of, you know, the, whether there's mandates for being vaccinated or not vaccinated having an, a, an easy way for uh, the employee, because the employee's been through enough, you know, obviously over the last year and a half or so, um, having an easy way for the employees to, uh, number one, uh, you know, reserve a space, number two, enter the information that they need um, to include like vaccinated versus unvaccinated, um, and just being able to uh, easily navigate throughout the, uh, the reservation. Uh, that's one aspect of it, the reservation process. And then have that, okay, sorry. Yeah, so Jonathan, comment on that. I mean, you have the existing buildings and then the buildings that you're building. Um, ease of tenant uh, coming and going has taken place. In a multi-tenanted building, you might have four or five different uh, tenants or more that have different policies, but in a single building, uh, it might be moving in a different direction. How, how do you advise them? And then I wanna comment on that next level of safety and wellness, um, but let's start with the technology coming in and out, the, the elevators, the cleaning practices, the, mm-hmm. the, uh, the way that you, um, you know, actually uh, come through a building. Sure. Just to touch on two quick things that were already said. One on the building more amenities. Couldn't agree more as we were just, uh, as Liz was mentioning, as it relates to Rock Center, we're putting in a massive new roof deck on the top of Radio City Music Hall as one of the many amenities that we have been moving towards, which is more outside space, more stuff like that. So here are the amenities um, piece of that very clearly. And and we're doing that as much as possible across our portfolio. And in Um, the building at Hudson Yards, there are balconies mm -hmm. all around, right? Yes, exactly. So outside space across the board. Um, I'm laughing because one of the, you know, yes, turnstiles. Turnstiles are the bane of my existence. Like I've spent four years working on access control and turnstiles. And I can tell you, it is the most annoying corner of the universe you could imagine. Um, But anyway, the answer as to why you can use your phone to get into the subway, and it is much harder to office buildings, is a four hour long seminar that involves multiple, it's a very unfortunately complicated issue. Um, it is made much more complicated by being in a multi-tenant building. And the multi-tenant uh, issues that come with that are very complex in order to be able to merge those sorts of systems that we use today for turnstiles with how tenants do their um, things. I mean, I'm just gonna leave it as, uh, we could have a four hour webinar, it's incredibly complicated. People also want to now link those to elevators and the chain of different building systems that have to be linked together. And then you'd like that to all happen on your phone via a Bluetooth technology that was designed 15 years ago for headphones is like just the layer upon layer of problems that are involved in that bucket of issues. Um, I can tell you that the answer is coming. Like in two years, this will be a much smoother uh, process as Apple and Google finally play ball. But it actually, most of the problems relate to the phone manufacturers, not the turnstiles. I have all the technology in the world in those turnstiles right now. They just can't talk to your phone for a number of complicated reasons. Um, But where we see this and in new construction is certainly the seamless movement through the building, right? You walk up to the turnstile, it opens, you walk up to the elevators, it already knows where you want to go. That's the vision of where this goes. But even in brand new buildings that are constructed on a single tenant basis, that is still mostly a fantasy. It's coming, but it's in a very few number of buildings and it requires one tenant and a, basically a completely seamless line of technology to do all of those things. And what's um, interesting is that in, at least within the New York City marketplace, if there's been any strength in the market or activity on the leasing side, it's been in um, newer buildings like one Vanderbilt that uh, only just recently opened and uh, is filling up very rapidly. 
and in uh, technology companies uh, like Apple and Amazon and uh, Google, all, all of which are, um, you know, delaying going in, but um, looking towards newer buildings uh, to move forward for the people that they're trying to attract. Yeah, and just, just quickly on like the last thought there on that was like, even the tech companies don't use their phone to get into their buildings, they use badges. So like, just just because I just think that just like this, people just have this vision that like somehow your phone just going to navigate through the earth and you don't have to touch anything is is not actually what almost any company is doing today. But we're working on it and it is coming, um, but it, it is going to be very hard to create that seamless experience, especially multi-tenant. Okay, and I would, one of the other things I want to ask you about, though, mm -hmm. uh, not to put you on the spot, but uh, because you are an expert in this area and it's an area that I think people are looking more closely to as, as they're thinking about returning at work or their employees are asking them about the health and wellness of the space they're returning to, specifically the air quality. Yep. Um, what are you doing as a landlord and what are your tenants asking you to do uh, with regard to that? Uh, what should the people here be thinking of or advising others uh, to think of in terms of making changes in that area if they mm -hmm. haven't done so already? Sure. Well, I mean, without getting into great technical detail, outside air is your friend here in terms in general of what we're trying to achieve. And so as much outside air as can be moved through the building and then flushed out of the building as possible with the highest degree of filtration without using enormous quantities of energy is the general goal, right? I mean, the big challenge today is, you know, in a perfect world, you'd open all the windows and blast the AC. I've spent 12 years in my job trying to prevent that exact outcome from happening. And here I am like, okay, guys, let's open the window and blast the AC. Um, that seems like a, a crazy solution to the problem. But in general, you want more ventilation, you want more outside air. That strategy of opening the windows and turning on the air conditioning was last summer's strategy. We've managed to refine that much, much further this summer to say that, um, you know, we're, we can deliver and in general do deliver very high degrees of outside air. Actually, most of the problems in our buildings are related to tenant buildouts where they didn't actually consider those things when though when they built it 10, 15 years ago. And so how air moves and how it moves within spaces, you know, the landlord delivers something to you at the core and then you tenant move it around within the space. And so a lot of those issues are related to how they were originally built out in the buildouts, um, which is not uh, something we can really control. Sandra, is that what you've had to deal with? And and what 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 do you advise your clients? I mean, they're not, this is important so that their employees feel that they're protected, obviously, yes. but at the same time, which is what we're talking about, yeah. feeling that protection so that you want to come back to work with your fellow employees. But, you know, the cost can be exorbitant, can it? It can. Um, and so those are things that we have been addressing on a case-by-case -case basis. Um, obviously, relying on our engineering partners to really advise us um, as well. Um, you know, there are certain legacy buildings that have, you know, um, uh, systems that need to be upgraded. And we saw a lot of that work going on during the pandemic um, in order to accommodate the higher filtration, um, more energy use. Um, I think we're going to see that going forward um, with, um, I think there's a comment here about reduced occupancy and how are we going to conserve energy? So, um, you know, every single case has been has been a little bit different. Um, we have we haven't seen as much work recently on that. Um, we're seeing a lot more work in terms of um, how you know we're controlling flow of people into the office buildings as occupancies are planned to increase over over time. So Marion, you mentioned about uh, keeping track of uh, uh, butts and seats, you know, uh, keeping track of employees in general, now, because of COVID, uh, if, if someone within your work area happens to contract it, you want to be able to follow that back. But at the same time, there are, as, as much as we're dealing with health um, and safety issues, there are also privacy issues. Um, the use of technology, and uh, as Jonathan would have us use our phone for everything, um, and, and we saw the State Department was hacked yesterday. How does that, how does that translate back to, uh, let alone the cost that you need to invest in some of this technology? What are you hearing from some of your clients as you're advising them? Well, I think it, it all has to do with um, being closely aligned with their IT organization and their security organization. 
be able to understand, um, okay, if we want to implement this technology, what are the ramifications from a, a privacy perspective? Um, you know, some organizations are more stringent than others, depending on the, on the industry, um, particularly the pharma industry is very stringent on, you know, uh, protecting employees and protecting privacy and along with uh, security issues, as you can imagine. So I think um, having that close relationship with the IT organization and um, understanding their security requirements um, will dictate, um, you know, how far we can go, uh, you know, with notifying notifications and, you know, tracking of, of COVID cases. Uh, it's so brand new, honestly, that whole technology is so brand new that uh, even IT security organizations are kind of scratching their heads saying, you know, what can we do and what can't we do here? So I think uh, time will time's going to tell what you know what will play out as far as you know how far they're going to be wanting to take this. And a year from now or two years from now, who knows? It might all be a, a terrible memory. <laughs> Hopefully, let's hope so. Sandra, did you want to add something before I go to Alexandra again? Uh, no, no, I'm okay, Brian. Oh, okay. I thought you, you looked yeah. like you were coming in with. I, I was thinking about something. Yeah. Oh, well, but it, <laughs> if you want to add to what Marion has to say, feel free to do so. Thank you. Okay, so um, Alexandra, you have to craft that policy, right? You're, you're the buck stops mm -hmm. with you. But this idea that Marion said, um, which is not too new to you, right, about involving IT, involving uh, HR. Um, involving uh, your, your, your safety officers. How, how do you all sit down together and, and craft together? Who has the, uh, the upper hand and, and do you present United in one, one, one space to the CEO or to the partner or how are those negotiations going for you? Well, I think, look, it definitely is a collective, right? It's just not one group making the decisions. I think for us, uh, we have an emergency management team that meets every Monday. And it is a very democratic you know, group that gets together. If something like this comes along, you know, we ourselves are managing people coming in out. What happens if someone does have COVID? How do we basically do follow-up? So we are looking at all those details and what the implications are, right? How much information is the employee willing to give and how much can we ask? Um, I think that when we take those questions to the EMT team, everyone is very concerned, right? That you always have the pros and cons, but I think collectively we all have to feel comfortable with where is that information being stored? Who is requesting that information? How long of a period of time are we holding that information for? And where is it, you know, what, what do we plan on doing with that? Are you just gathering information to gather it or are you doing something collective with that? That, you know, booking a desk is very different than asking someone, have you tested positive? Have you been in contact with someone? I mean, the, the, the expectations are quite different on what people will give. So I think that when these group of people get together and we all feel semi-comfortable, right? Because you're not going to be 100%. Then we approach that to the, to the CEO and say, here's what we feel comfortable with in asking, in holding in our records. Are you on board with us? And as you know, if and when he says yes, then we collectively as a team draft that communication with our general counsel and release. And as soon as we release that communication, I will tell you, many people start from the firm just start reaching out saying, what exactly does this mean for me? What are the implications? And every time we get that inquiry, we're constantly polishing that communication. And even for ourselves, what exactly are we intending on doing? We're tweaking it, right? It's never 100%. Our own people help us tweak and get better every time. Yeah, so you're, you're, um, you're really touching upon a very important uh, aspect of your job, which is collaboration and communication and being able to uh, bring that benchmarking uh, information that uh, Sandra had mentioned uh, to the table so that uh, you can compare it with uh, what other um, big uh, organizations like yourself are doing. Jonathan, you're constantly compiling that type of information. Um, and you have fairly astute uh, tenants, uh, given the type of buildings that you um, uh, own in your portfolio and the type of rents that you charge. Is uh, there been a consistent um, type of policy or is it still uh, uh, different across the board 
uh, and is it more dependent on the on the industry, banking, uh, healthcare, or um, um, you know a uh, a technology company that's drafting it? Um, I mean, I would say that we've seen all sorts of different strategies and that there doesn't appear to be much of a, I mean, yes, broadly banks have said, come back to the office and the internet companies have said, don't. But beyond that, that's about the only trend I would say is a trend. The rest of it has been all over the place. You have all different kinds of firms choosing all different kinds of strategies. Um, you have lots of firms saying, you know what, everything was fine before, we had a pretty good year of not being in the office, making a bunch of money. Why would we change anything now to others saying, let's buy as much plexiglass as we can nail to the wall. So, I mean, it's been a widely divergent set of strategies. Some companies have asked for our guidance and others have not. It, it's, it's been, um, it's been definitely all over the place. I would say we work with each of our tenants to ensure that they have the right way they want to get into the building. Um, but we did not do mandatory temperature checks nor any other sort of thing like that. We certainly follow local mandates related to mask wearing and any number of other things, but but um, we didn't sort of impose one strategy beyond what is required by law onto our tenants. Um, and I can tell you it's been all over the place. Um, and interestingly, there is, again, I'd say the one constant thing is there's been no constants. We've got law firms that are moving everybody back in. We've got law firms that are saying, why do we ever have an office? I mean, it's it's all over the place. So um, I think the biggest challenge that a lot of companies are facing is that they've spent a lot of money on these build outs. They've spent a lot of money on their space and they're trying to you know make sure that that doesn't go to waste. The reality is, even if you only want to have people come into the office three days a week, you still need conference rooms. You still need auditoriums. You still need all those spaces. And so you know, and you can't just go rent them on the fly. And so how are you going to, in the future, you know, think about the fact that, you know, yeah, we're a company that needs an auditorium and we need it every once in a while, but that does just means we're going to have to build one and pay for it. Right. And using it two days less per week is unfortunate, but it's not going to change the fact that we need one. So I think a lot of this is also, you know, there's been a strategy of densification and redu reduction of square footage in real estate for a long time now. And real estate has been viewed as the place to cut as much cost as possible, much to just inspire chagrin, I might add. Um, but uh, but I don't see that continuing. I mean, there's no further densification that can really be done now, certainly not where we are today. And, uh, and so I think what you're going to see is just a lot more CFOs have to get more comfortable with the fact that, yeah, unfortunately, we're going to have to build the space and use the space not very often, but we need it. Right. And, and it's not just going to go away as a need for conference rooms and the other specialty sort of setups that uh, that folks need. I mean, just one more second on this to say, like the logical industry would be law firms. Right. Why do they except for the fact that they need these giant conference rooms, auditoriums and all this specialized stuff that they don't use that often, but is critical to the business. Right. And so I think it's going to be very hard for companies to give all that up. It's going to be much more likely that it's just used less often. You know, I, I do want to stay with you for a second. Um, to comment on something that uh, Alexandra brought up though. So she said her portfolio is pretty much gonna be status quo, but she's um, not nervous, but concerned about the flexibility, um, less, but particularly more space that might be needed. You know, should things turn again with the economy, mm -hmm. uh, which we're all hoping in the positive. Uh, and Tishman Spire, uh, along with other landlords, have um, really embraced flexible space now for their own tenants. Can you comment a little bit about that? And I think that's new, not, not in the sense that we work for Industrious or, or some of those other shared office spaces uh, didn't exist before, but um, the value that they provide to a tenant, um, you know, such as Lazard in a location where they're not sure where their growth is going to be and how a landlord like Tishman Spire has adjusted their space allocation within uh, their future thinking. Sure. Well, we started a co-working brand of our own called Studio a couple of years ago, um, and we have studio locations throughout our portfolio now. We think co-working is an integral part of our business going forward. It's not a huge part of our business, but we think it plays an important role in um, how we rent space and how we interact with our tenants and how we grow with them over time. And so, um, yeah, we see it as a big component piece. We don't see as much of it as being a buffer for expansion. Usually, it's either smaller companies or companies that want to open a new branch office and don't necessarily want to take the full plunge into a larger lease. Um, but we do see companies use it as temporary expansion space as well. But mostly it's been 
um, <clears throat> larger companies wanting to open new locations um, yeah. or things like that, or again, small companies as well. But uh, but we think co-working is going to play an important role in our portfolio going forward. We're not like having whole buildings be co-working by any means, but we think a nice mix of co-working throughout the portfolio in a good majority of our buildings in most of the big cities is where we would like to be. And I think you're seeing that mirrored by a lot of the other big landlords as well. So uh, Alexandra, um, you can craft all the strategies you want. You can make the air conditioning uh, changes you need. You can bring in the apps uh, to let you know who's sitting next to you and when they're sitting next to you, you can take advantage of the outdoor amenities that are being added. But I've heard off and on, um, and we certainly saw it in New York City during the primaries, uh, the concern of outside the office, getting to the office, um, the transportation safety, um, um, the subways. Um, um, what, what have you heard with regard to that and your tenants? And is that something that um, your, your partners are concerned about? I think it is, right? We've been told by our, by our people, you know, it's not so much the office environment, it's getting there. I think we've left it up to the individuals to decide, are you willing to take that chance to come into the office, you're more than welcome to work from home. As a firm, I don't think we have any policies in place. You know, we're not providing special transportation. We're not providing car service because that would just add on another layer and possibly take away from the fact of people wanting to come into the office. I think, you know, we just have to leave it at the discretion of the people to come in and, and figure out what's the best way for them to do so. Yeah. Um, Sandra and Marion, do you want to weigh in on, on that at all? I do on, on two points. Um, one is a counterpoint to J, uh, Jonathan's um, work, which is I, I'm seeing a, a little bit different perspective in some of our clients as they look for space. Um, I do think that, um, you know, a space um, in terms of having a solid footprint of dedicated space for their organizations across the nation is happening. But I do see an increase in the flexible, the flexible space model. Um, I'm sitting in one of your Tishman Studios Fire um, studios today, um, and that's how we operate as a consulting firm. We don't need to be in a studio space all of the time, but we do need to meet. We need access to conference rooms and other spaces. Um, but oftentimes we're with our clients, right? Um, there are other organizations that operate similar. And so having space on demand is um, a trend that I see in the future, um, expanding with certain organizations and certain pockets of, of businesses um, within in the organization. Um, and, the set, and I think that really catalyzes your workforce. You know, you're able then to um, be a little bit more flexible in the type of amenities and offerings you have um, without owning that space. Um, the second thing I will say um, to Alex's point, um, there is a tremendous amount of, um, you know, consideration happening in terms of how offices are planned um, and where their locations are. So another good instance um, is providing some you know, flexible workspace, maybe outside of the city in order to um, accommodate employee demand for office space um, while taking into consideration, you know, travel back to a central headquarters. So that, that hub and spoke model, um, you know, before the pandemic, obviously, operating every day was a calculated risk. This was a heightened risk. And so now as we see those risk levels come down and as we see um, a more normal return, even with variants and even with living in a, in a more heightened state of um, you know, a global pandemic world, um, I think we are going to be making as humans just decisions about how to um, plan, design, think creatively and engineer better solutions um, to kind of future-proof um, how the office work-life balance will happen. Yeah, so Marion, um, that's an interesting uh, discussion about hub and spoke. You deal with your club and uh, global portfolio. You have yes. hub and spokes all over the place uh, dealing with cities and suburbs. Um, does that have much traction? Do you see that happening? And then, um, uh, you know, three out of the four panelists here are women. Uh, I want to talk about what this pandemic has done to women in the workforce and, and, um, and their return. Um, Marion, tell us a little bit about what you're seeing on Hub and Spoke. Um, yeah, we're seeing that in a in a um, our large global client that we're working with right now. Um, 
Um, so we need to play, you know, we're also advising on, on location specific information too um, for our client and our global in the global portfolio. Um, interesting aspect of them is they merged with another organization that was uh, all traditional uh, space. You know, uh, everybody had their own office. Everybody was assigned to an office. So the larger organization that acquired um, this company uh, had, had been on flex working arrangements or flexible workspace for uh, a couple of years. <laughs> so um, the one thing that they uh, was critical uh, and this happened on a global basis for um, the, the, the people who are merging into the, the flexible workplace um, locations is, you know, the communication plan. You know, how are you going to uh, have a positive um, outcome to people who are used to having their own hardwood, sorry, hardwood office, um, and now they're in a, you know, cubicle the same size as, you know, other people in the same size cubicle. So I think, you know, we're seeing a lot of um, requests from us to develop an effective communication plan to uh, be able to um, transition those people to flexible work arrangements. So that's one aspect of it. The other aspect of the hub and spoke, um, it's location specific. So if- um, explain, explain hub and spoke to those people that might not know what, it, what, it, what we're talking about here. Yeah, it's a central location versus uh, remote locations that um, folks could actually work out of versus going to you know, a central location every day. So in New York, for example, it would be Suburb. the suburbs of Long Island or Westchester or Connecticut, having smaller satellite offices that people could touch down to. So this right. could be a change of, of office dynamics of the future as you're asking people to just work two or three days from the main location or mm -hmm. touching in from another location. And I think there's like an additional, um, when we look at um, location, or we were asking for you know, site relocation specific um, requests, uh, that's another dynamic that we need to, um, that we have added to our criteria. You know, traditionally it's been demographics, um, you know, transportation has been a big thing, but also, you know, the other location specific um, things that we need to uh, take in consideration um, because of the COVID situation. Um, as you mentioned, you know, um, mothers who have children, you know, in school systems and they can't necessarily get out because of the, uh, you know, the situation, uh, we need to take that into those items into consideration too. You know, how people are working right now versus their own uh, personal uh, experiences, you know, with the, um, with the COVID events. Yeah, so you segued right into my other uh, concern, which was, okay, we want everyone to return, but there are outside factors like uh, Alexandra talked about, crime and safety issues uh, in the subway. There's also, um, uh, you know, the, the school systems and the fact that uh, mothers, uh, along with fathers, have been home now uh, with their kids uh, for quite some time. And um, we're not sure where the, the next Delta variant may come from, but um, how that is handled is... Uh, remains to be seen. Uh, and I think uh, this goes to what Alexandra said in terms of wait and see. Um, uh, would you agree, Alexandra? Absolutely. Look, I, I think for the most part, it's, we're in such a, this whole pandemic has made it, made us very aware that everything is, you know, not one thing fits all. Everyone has to develop their own guidelines of what works for their company. That includes who comes back, when they come back, what type of technology you need to offer, right? For, for us, for instance, at Lazard, yes, we're refined. We love to think we're refined, but at the end of the day, I need to be able to plug and play. I, have, I am not technology driven, so I need to make sure that when I turn on my teams, I can just go straight into that. So when I get approached and constantly said, have you, can you use this app, can you use this app? I could, but what is the advantage of it, right? I don't want 10 million apps on my phone because what, what am I really doing with that? So we really have to determine what works for us, what works for our group. And I think it's gonna continue down that path until we either kind of stem away from it or come to a general consensus, right? Of stay from, you know, work from home, the amount of time you need, come in. If you can't come in, here are the programs you're gonna use. You could use Zoom, you could use Project Teams. What is gonna be beneficial? I don't think there's ever gonna be 
100% concrete on what we do, it's always going to be a moving target. Well, this has been a fascinating discussion. It went by very quickly. Um, I was hoping that we could take some questions from our audience. Um, I, I don't know uh, where the questions are coming from or <laughs> might handle it. So if uh, one of our- Brian, I can get, it's John. You, John. They're in the chat. Yeah. I, can give, I can give you some. Yeah, we've got a lot of good ones in here. Well, good. Um, some, 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 some we touched on, but let's start with a few here. Uh, oh, this is a good one. Uh, uh, Larry, Larry Charlip, um, this is going back to, to Sandra's point on, on some on Flex Office or Flex conference rooms. To the point Sandra just made, isn't the model that Breather tried, isn't that the model Breather tried, excuse me, and wasn't able to support? Where's the middle ground between Airbnb of office slash conference space and full shared office? And that's a great question. You know, when we saw Breather um, uh, go out of business and some of the other co-working providers go out of business during this time, um, how do we support a model going forward that includes on-demand? Um, I'm aware of some organizations like the Instant Group and some others that are experimenting with these um, new flexible office demand where it's basically provided to you, you own it um, during that time, release it, and then you're able to move out. So um, I would say again, um, the full on-demand office where you're booking from anywhere, um, fluid space, um, there are going to be others that emerge and who rises to the top. It's it's kind of a race right now in terms of space, but employee survey has shown uh, with some of the engagement models where organizations, uh, top leadership are thinking about return to office as um, the, the status quo and employees who are preferring at 45% rate three days a week in the office, it's representing um, the diversity of opinions in terms of how to get to work. So um, that will merge. And I think there is um, definitely some challenges that need to overcome in this. Um, but Larry brings up a really good point, like where have we found an economic model that works for the fluid space? And I think that's still in development. Let's take another question if you can, John. Sure. Um, oh, Kimberly Duval, this is a good one. How does the building performance issue dovetail into more recent New York City building performance mandates? What are owners doing now? Uh, Jonathan, I think that is directed to you. Sure. Um, well, I'm actually on two of the local on 97 working groups trying to figure out how to implement that law, which is, I'm sure, what was being referenced there. And um, what I would say is that the law is simple in concept, reduce carbon, and the city gave themselves three and a half years to write the rule to implement it because it's not an easy issue. And New York City is the first city going down this path um, with a solely carbon lens as opposed to DC, which went with more of an energy efficiency angle, Boston, which is trying to kind of do both of them. Um, and it's not to say that energy efficiency doesn't play a huge role with carbon, but the law says carbon. And so that's what we're focused on. Um, <clears throat> But look, it's a great question. The reality is that uh, the, the shocking thing from the pandemic is that as nobody came to the office for a while, energy consumption only went down a tiny bit. And there's a lot of super complicated reasons for that. And it's been a very interesting um, uh, set of developments that have create that has sort of created now. But there's no good answers to why is it that when you have 20% occupancy of offices, offices are still using 80% of the energy they were using pre-pandemic. It's a very complicated set of questions related to IT loads and a bunch of other things. These are things the city of New York is very aware of, and it's a big problem as we think about efficiency going forward. Many of the things we are doing in the pandemic use more energy, period, full stop. There's no pretending that's not true. And so how is that going to be accommodated in the future? I have to say, you know, and I can say this with confidence, I have no idea and nor does anybody else because there's no clear pathway to um, massively decreasing energy consumption while I'm also pushing way more air through the building through higher filtration medium and people are using more natural outside air through open windows. I mean, there's no magic here. There's no technology you've never heard of that I've got that others don't that's going to solve this problem. Everybody's facing the same challenge and the city's well aware of that. Um, and so I guess what I would say is this, the city's supposed to issue a rule in 2023 so don't hold your breath, but sometime about two years from now, the answer will come out of how that actually looks to implement. Um, but 
I would say that hopefully the best case scenario is that the pandemic is well in the rearview mirror and we can go back to the sort of tried and true energy efficiency strategies we've been using for a long time, because the harsh reality is that most of the energy efficiency outside of new construction in existing buildings in the last 15 years has been reducing ventilation, reducing air conditioning, and trying to bring in as little outside air as possible because that needs to be tempered hot or cold and has a huge energy impact, right? So there, you know, very long way of saying, I don't have brilliant answers here. We're trying to figure it out along with everybody else, but it's a it's an unfortunate set of circumstances that as we're going into, we need to reduce energy consumption and carbon as much as we've ever needed to. We're also going in the exact opposite direction right now. Yeah, very well said, Jonathan, and thanks for that insight. Let's take one more, uh, if we could, John. Yes, this um, this one could go for everyone, and I'll add my two cents too. Even it's from uh, Ron Lanzo. Um, I have yet to see any of our major law firms return to New York City yet. Even the big banks thought they'd have everyone back by July first, but the rank and file seem to be resisting. Frankly, lots of people have enjoyed working from home and not having to commute. Ron, and I mean this all the respect, I have a four-year-old and a one-and-a-half-year-old, and I emphatically do not enjoy working from home and will happily commute to my office and are looking forward to it once I can again. But please, uh, everyone, please, uh, what are you here? This is very good. It's a very good observation, though. What is, is there any resistance to coming back? What are the rank and filing saying? Um, have, have any of your clients of law firms, are they delaying some of their, um, their uh, staff coming back to the office? Sandra, why don't we start with you? Yeah, I think, Ron, you bring up a really good point, right? Um, we're, we're all human. We all have different drivers and factors in terms of why the office is important to us. Um, I think that in the future, you're going to see um, a little bit of what you see before, right? History repeats itself. Um, a major you know, recession happens or a major calamity happens and we all exit and then we start to slowly come back, right? Humans um, need to be together. And I think that the technology underlying this um, and trying to re-energize the office and give us the reporting, the right communications, the right perspective, we'll see more and more people come back. As Jonathan rightly said at the beginning of this, it's August, right? So we're seeing lower occupancy. Um, but I think you'll just see ever increasing occupancy um, going forward. Law firms in, in particular, they can do their face-to-face -face discussions and proprietary work and confidential work um, in this manner quite, um, quite frequently, but there are place and time for people to be together. Um, so I think that um, this is just kind of a moment and snapshot on time, and this conversation will continue to evolve well into 2022 and 2023. Yeah, quickly, we do have a snapshot on time with two minutes to go. <laughs> uh, Marion and Alexandra, weigh in on that last question, please. Um, as far as the, uh, you know, the, the appetite for returning to the office, um, you know, the, the, the teams that we're working with at, at corporate offices are um, closely monitoring that right now. Um, and you know, the idea is to have, you know, take that into consideration, have strong planning processes in place uh, for future planning um, and having the flexibility to be able to modify those processes as needed because everything's changing from day to day. We see it in our client. So, you know, having a strong appetite might be a consideration um, for teams and other companies, it might not. They're like, you know, a lot of companies are mandating that you, you know, return to work. So I think it depends on the situation. And you have the last yeah. word. Yeah, I mean, look, I agree with Sandra. I do think that it really, human nature is to want to be together, to want to interact, to have conversation. And I have found that in the days that I come to work, that collaboration is very visible. People are just happy. People are being productive. There's a sense of camaraderie, right? Everyone's together. We're in this together. And I think just for that nature, people need to come into the office. I do think that some people are comfortable working from home natural introverts would would be in their realm. I think that, you know, from from our perspective, people that live in the city, smaller apartments that are basically tired of seeing and being don't have a proper workspace are ready to come home. As much as we offer a stipend and say we can get you that ergonomic chair desk. It's one of those no I need more. Yeah. And we want to come in. And that's why we've never said don't come doors open whenever you want. 
Well, you have the last word there, Alexandra, and I wanna thank you and Sandra and Jonathan and Marion, all for participating in what I think was a very worthwhile and vigorous conversation. We debated whether or not we should do this here at the end of August, but we thought, why put it off? Let's, let's, let's like see what, where things are going and prepare for the future. I think we could probably have a part two of this conversation moving forward. Thank you all for participating. Thank you, IFMA, and thank you, Cornet, for coming together on this. I want to particularly thank Jane Cunningham and Meryl Efron, uh, as well as John uh, Pavone, for uh, putting together this panel uh, and uh, uh, making this available to all of us. Thank you all for participating today. I'm sorry we couldn't get to all of your questions. Uh, we'll be happy to do so in the next one as well. Have a great day and be safe, everyone. Thank you. Thank you, Brian. Thank you everyone, have a good one. Thank you. Take care.